Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now back to 95.7 The Game. Halfway home here on a Sunday morning. Chuck Walters, Evan Giddings with you on 95.7 The Game. Two hours in the books, two to go here, and we are pleased to kick off our second half of the show with Eric Crocker from Locked On 49ers podcast, former defensive back, very knowledgeable about everything 49ers related as well as around the NFL. Eric, thank you so much for joining us here today. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are y'all doing? Doing fantastic, especially after a great week one in the preseason for the 49ers. Before we get into some of the specifics about everything I know that you were tweeting about, talking about on your podcast, what was your overall takeaway from week one, considering you know there wasn't much sample size for a guy like Trey Lance, but what did you take away from the first game, 49ers-Packers there on Friday? I think overall, and it's something I've kind of come to, to expect from the San Francisco 49ers, but... They just look like a very well-coached team. So whether it's the starters, whether it's the backups, whether it's third string, whoever it is that steps out there, those guys are prepared. So um, big up to the San Francisco 49ers coaching staff for always having the guys ready to go. All right, defensive back, got to ask you about him. You know it's coming. Womack, Samuel Womack the third. We've heard he has go-go gadget arms, meaning that he's just extremely long and can get his paws out there in a hurry and uh, really block up some passes. Overall thoughts on him? Oh, man. And you talked about having those long arms. And uh, My co-host on Lock on 49ers, Brian Peacock, and I, we, we joked a lot about how long his arms are. And, and there he really has, like, the arms of a 6'1 uh, defensive back. But uh, Samuel Womack, uh, nickel guy out of Toledo, played a lot on the outside in college. He's a guy that kind of flew under the radar a little bit throughout the draft process. But 49ers got him, and I was intrigued to kind of watch him in person and I was down there at training camp in Santa Clara, and you see the movement skills, you see the uh, the twitch that he has, and I don't think anything, even in practice, would have prepared me for what I saw him do in the game, which was someone who can be a legitimate man-to-man guy in that nickel spot. Uh, you, you get interceptions sometimes in games, but maybe there's a tip, maybe there's a bad throw. I mean, he had two interceptions on passes that were not bad, and he just made great plays, and and uh, to have a guy in the slot like that, and we'll see, obviously, um, if he kind of starts to get more first-team reps and whatnot, but just the ability to hit, the anticipation, the scrappiness, all those things that he put on display, not just in those two plays, but really throughout that game, it was uh, very, very encouraging. My question as I follow up with that, you, you said he's got the, it looks like he's got a 6-1 wingspan. He has 4-3 speed. 
How was this guy a walk-on at Toledo, and how did he fall to the Niners in the fifth round? Well, so, you know, I train a lot of athletes, and these scouts, man, like, they, they want the 6'1", 6'2", guy. So when you are five foot nine, it's easy for those guys to slip through the radar. You know, I get phone calls all the time, and they're like, all right, Crocs, you know, who do you have for me? And if I say, oh, I got this guy, Samuel Womack, five foot nine, like, they'll stop me right there. And no, 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 where's the where's the six foot guys? Where's the six two guys? So I think for even for a guy who like him who could run and he has long arms and whatnot, there's kind of this prejudice going on right now in the scouting community uh, on defensive backs that are under five foot ten. Eric Rocker with us here on ninety five seven The Game, host of Locked On Forty ers podcast, also a Stockton, California native. We appreciate his advice. And as well as intelligence here on the program, Eric, I want to talk to you about a guy that has the measurables in Trey Lance. And for all of the reports in training camp about kind of the ups and downs, the inconsistencies, I was pleasantly surprised to see him look pretty comfortable in the the drives that he got and the 11 plays that he got in the preseason. What did you make of the way that Kyle Shanahan used him? I thought he, he kind of built each play upon another as far as, you know, starting short, then going to the intermediate, and then eventually, of course, the big bomb to Danny Gray, which was the exclamation point to his performance. What did you glean from Trey Lance? And did you expect what he did on Friday, which was, to me, look pretty comfortable? Yeah, you know what? To be honest, uh, down there in training camp and kind of what I saw, he actually looked comfortable, but even when he's comfortable, sometimes he just might miss a pass. And I think for him, that's kind of the next step in his in his development, right? I think a lot of people kind of reference Josh Allen. And Josh Allen might have, like, just a bigger arm and whatnot, but just in the sense of a guy who could be a little erratic as a passer at times and then see how that development comes along. We, we've seen it with him and how it progressed over a few his first few years. But with Trey Lance, I think for him, he sees the field well. He knows where to go with the ball. And, and we saw that Friday uh, Friday evening where each throw, he made the right decision. Now, whether he could have been a little bit more accurate on a pass in the back to Bob Dwelly or a deep out to uh, Danny Gray. But overall, the, the how he's seeing the field, that part's there. So I think Kyle Shanahan can be very, really comfortable with that in the sense of calling plays. Now it's just delivering the ball and being precise and on target. And I think there's going to be the ups and downs within that this season. Uh, there's going to be times where he misses passes, where everybody's going to say, man, he, he should get that. But I think because of his explosive ability, and uh, not to you know bring up Jimmy Garoppolo in the sense of anything bad, but Jimmy Garoppolo was a guy where, hey, he's going to get the ball out, timing the rhythm, uh, put the ball in position for guys like Debo Samuel to catch it and run, and the player's going to create those explosive plays that the 49ers had. This well, with, with Trey Lance, he's able to actually create the explosive plays. Whether he gets out on the move, uh, throws the ball down the field, whether it's explosive play, just throwing the ball with a lot of air yards. So there might not be the same uh, efficiency from a pure passing standpoint, but the explosive plays should be there enough to be able to kind of make up for it. This may not be a fair question because Ray Ray McLeod is expected to be a return man. But when you look at Ray Ray McLeod stacked up against Danny Gray, there's only so many reps that can go around in games and touches that can go around in games. Which of the two, McLeod's got the NFL experience, uh, had a you know solid season last year with the Pittsburgh Steelers in the return game and in terms of catching the ball with a few hundred yards. Um, who has the bigger year, McLeod or Gray, if you had to bet? If I had to bet, I'd say McLeod because I think it's just a little easier to consistently get the ball in his hands 
I think he works underneath very well, as well as being able to obviously what we saw, you know, kind of uh, catch a ball downfield. Now, I know the defense is a bad fail, but hey, he, he made the DB fall, right? And it's weird because you look at uh, McLeod's usage with his previous teams, Buffalo, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. He was averaging like under seven yards per catch, which is crazy. I've never seen anything like that. And then he comes to the 49ers, and you see the plays of him catching the ball down the field, and that continued on into the preseason game. So uh, I think that's something that can continue with the 49ers. I think Danny Gray right now, at this point in his development, he can definitely stretch the field. I really like him having him run that fade from the slot position. But, you know, he has to do a little bit more to free himself up on just all of his routes, uh, you know, comebacks, curls, uh, slant routes. I think that's the next part in his development as a pure receiver. And I think the more he grows into being able to do those things, I think you'll see him take overtake a guy like Ray River Cloud. But, but with, if there's anything I know with the NFL, uh, there is this roster politics thing. So, you know, you spend a third-round pick on somebody, albeit a very late pick, they're still going to do different things to get him on the field. But, again, if I had to put money on it, I would say uh, Ray Ray McLeod has the bigger year this season. Interesting. And we're talking to Eric Crocker, host of the Lockdown 49ers podcast here on 95.7 The Game. Sticking with Danny Gray, though, and, you know, having been around this team, knowing the team, a dynamic as far as a burner is concerning, having a guy that can at least be a threat to take the top off, that's something that I just don't know has been in the 49ers' back pocket offensively. And, and you know, Grennan, as you kind of talked about, it could have been because of a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo's limitations. But now having at least the threat to be able to go deep, what does that unlock as far as Ayuk, as far as Debo, as far as Kittle is concerned? Do you think even this, the threat of Danny Green being out there is worth having him on the field to open things up and open up options for Trey Lance? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, if you look at how the 49ers – well, first, let me kind of go back. The 49ers, they've tried to have that guy in their offense. They brought in guys like uh, Travis Benjamin. They brought in uh, Tavon Austin at one point, uh, J.J. Nelson. You know, they brought in a bunch of different guys, even uh, Marquise Goodwin. I think that was part of the plan for him. But for one reason or another, it just didn't quite work out. But now, if you look at it from Danny Gray's perspective, him being able to just pull coverage so guys can't play really tight with their safety – you know, the safeties and the way defense has been called against the 49ers been kind of disrespectful <laughs> to the passing game, where guys are just like, look, you're, you're not going to throw it down the field, so we're going to sit everybody 10 to 12 yards off, and we're actually going to sit on routes. And I've seen that consistently to where Jimmy Garoppolo, who was really good at it, but he had to be so precise, because if he was off just a little bit, uh, there wasn't a lot of room for error. Well, I think now teams have to play their defense back to back just a little bit, because now the 49ers will throw the ball you know, 40-plus yard, uh, air yards and try to hit guys down the field. And I don't think it's going to stop at just Danny Gray. I think we've seen uh, a big usage of that with Brandon Ayu in training camp. We've seen Ray Ray McLeod running down the field. They've even tried to connect with Debo Samuel. That connection isn't quite there yet vertically. It's been solid underneath. But you definitely see more of an emphasis on trying to push the ball vertically down the field. And that should really help, whether it's Danny Gray or any of these other guys, it should help kind of open up things underneath for everyone else. I think I know the answer to this, but what position group for the 49ers do you think is most improved heading into the season? Oh, it's got to be the cornerback position, right? Now, That's what I was going with. Be, <laughs> you need these guys to be healthy. You have uh, uh, Emmanuel Mosley and Travis Ward, both of your starting corners. They have, like, you know, just kind of these soft tissue injuries right now, which it doesn't seem like it's a big deal. They should be ready for week one. 
But just having guys like that on the outside that can challenge guys, and then maybe the more underrated part, right, if it is Samuel Womack, and we talked about him in the slot. Well, Kawan Williams, as great as he was at that nickel position, he couldn't really cover guys vertically. Like it, So 49ers, they wanted to go to single high. They had to try to figure out how to hide a guy like Kawan Williams on vertically pushing routes. Well, now you have Samuel Womack who runs in the 4 threes. Well, he can run vertically with guys. So I think that even helps you more if you're D'Amico Ryan and how you can call plays. you got these terrific guys on the outside. If Womack wins a starting job, you have a nickel who can run vertically. Now you can do more things with your safeties, whether it's Jimmy Ward or Hufunga, whoever it is that's starting on um, opposite Ward. You can do more with those guys in disguising and even uh, stimulating some different pressures. Talking week one of the preseason, moving into preseason week two here with Eric Crocker from the Locked On 49ers podcast on 95.7 The Game. Sticking with transitions from last year to this, even though no matter how you feel about Jimmy Garoppolo, he brought a sense of of leadership, and and that is a void that will have to be filled. I'm curious who you think is most qualified to step up in that stead while – and, and maybe it could be Trey Lance, but with the, a first-year starting quarterback, I'm sure people are going to be looking around the locker room towards veterans to kind of, whether it be on the field or off the field, commit to being more of a captain, more vocal, more of a leader in the locker room. Who do you think is the most qualified to sort of fill that void that Jimmy Garoppolo left? Yeah, you talked about the quarterback position and, and Trey Lance and him being young, but even then, Guys are still going to look for their quarterback and their confidence in him to be able to, you know, overcome certain adversities and whatnot. So we've seen Trey Lance try to take that step. You see young guys scoring touchdowns in preseason. He's sprinting off of the sideline, running 50 yards to go grab the ball and bring it back to those guys, just kind of instilling a certain level of leadership from that standpoint. So he's definitely going to have to be a part of that. But, you know, if not him, they have some vocal guys whether it's uh, Fred Warner, he's a big-time vocal guy, whether he's talking trash to the opposing team or firing his teammates up. They're going to really need him to be that vocal leader, especially on the defense. And they're going to lean on that defense a lot. And it starts with him. Uh, opposite him, you have Trent Williams, a guy who it feels like a lot of the younger uh, players have kind of followed. It, it sounds like he had, uh, I believe it was Spencer Burford, who did a terrific job in the preseason game, a uh, rookie out of UTSA playing at that right guard position. But I believe he stayed with Trent Williams uh, at different times in the offseason. So, uh, you know, having Trent Williams there and his leadership, he, he's so great. I think we forget that he's kind of old. <laughs> he's like 34 years old now. But um, I believe if, if I had to say two guys up, you know, outside of Trey Lance, it would have to be Fred Warner and Trent Williams. Let's talk about uh, Marcelino McCrary ball. Just because he had the interception in the game, I want to touch on everyone that was vital to the 49ers win. A rookie out of Indiana, undrafted free agent, played safety at Indiana, now is a linebacker, undersized at 6 feet 220, but he's climbing his way up the depth chart. Is this someone that could potentially help this team this year or even in the future? Well, you know, we'll see. He is a guy, one, you talked about him being a former safety, and we've seen that with a lot of the 49ers uh, defense, uh, linebackers right now, right? Fred Warner, he was a guy that played some defensive back at BYU. Uh, Dre Greenlaw played some DB at Arkansas. So a lot of these guys have played multiple positions and had to make that transition to the linebacker position for the 49ers. Uh, he, this guy is another one of those. And now his interception he got, again, he kind of went off the chest of a Green Bay Packer receiver, popped in the air. He did a terrific job of not just tracking the ball down and catching it to capitalize on the Packers' mistake. But the return ability, and we saw that. He looked comfortable with the ball. I don't know. I mean, this guy must have played running back in, in, in high school. But, um, you know, just 
showing that type of ability, that's not going to be why the 49ers bring, keep them on the team. It's going to be special teams. So with a guy like him, that's what I would look forward to seeing. How is he doing running down um, on punt team? How is he doing running down on kickoff? How is he doing as a protector on kickoff return? I think those are things that are going to be even more pivotal for him uh, making his 53-man roster. Last one for you, Eric. Eric Rocker here with us on 95.7 The Game, host of Lockdown 49ers podcast. And kind of going broad picture here, understanding everything moving from the training from training camp into the first week of preseason. We've discussed in the first couple hours of this show where the Niners sort of stack up in the NFC as well as the division. And I know our, our partners at BetQL have the Niners projected for one more win than the Rams. They had them winning the division. Our own Chuck Walters has them going to the Super Bowl. Where do you think that the 49ers fit as far as the NFC picture and then the NFC West picture is concerned right now? Well, you know, one of the first things I touched on when I got on here was talking about the 49ers coaching. And they coach so well. So regardless of anything that's going on, even with an inexperienced quarterback, you know they'll be in a mix because they're going to put their players in position to be uh, successful. And not just, you know, the rookie quarterback, but you look around this roster and it's extremely talented. I mean, we've gone this whole show and not even talked about maybe arguably the best player on the team, which is Nick Bosa, right? So this is a team that's extremely loaded on both sides of the ball. And I think based on that, it is a team that could potentially win the NFC West. It's still going to be tough. Uh, I'm not counting out the Rams at all. I know the 49ers have kind of had, quote-unquote, their number uh, outside of the NFC Championship game. But the Rams are going to be tough. You know, they kind of reloaded. They got weapons over there. They're getting their running back, uh, back Cam Akers, who's going to be fully healthy now as opposed to returning late last season off of that Achilles injury. Uh, you got Matthew Stafford. I'm pretty sure everybody's keeping an eye on his elbow situation. But if he's good to go, uh, that's a team where if I had to put money, I'd say that that's probably who I would kind of lean more towards because they have a little bit more experience or a lot more experience at the quarterback position. But uh, I'd see the 49ers maybe finishing second in the NFC West, which would still be solid with a, a quarterback starting his first full year. And then as far as the NFC goes, I could see them finishing uh, fifth or sixth but or, or sixth or seven, kind of fighting for that wild card spot. But once they get in the dance and the 49ers have proven it, anything can happen from there. It's a tough, scrappy team. They play physical, they can, uh, they can travel, and they play well on the road. We've seen them win it, in, whether it's indoors, whether it's outdoor, and freezing temperatures. So uh, wouldn't be shocked at all to see them in the NFC Championship game or anything like that. It's a, it's a tough team. Fingers crossed, Eric. We hope that they can realize their potential this year, and we hope to be talking to you all season long here on 95.7 The Game. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, man. All right, y'all have a good one. Thanks, Eric. That's Eric Crocker, Locked On 49ers podcast, former defensive back, was with the Jets for a bit, played in the CFL, a lot of great insight there, and I think he's he's kind of with you. I know he wasn't as going as far as to say they can win the Super Bowl, but NFC Championship game, that's I mean, I don't I don't think that's, you know, just a, a hot take. No, and look at the NFC this year. What was that, Sterling? What do we got? This year is our year. This year is the year. So they say. Packers have regressed. Yeah. Right? Uh, Buccaneers, one year older. I, they're still the team to beat in the NFC. The 45 year old quarterback. I still think the Buccaneers are the team to beat. But if San Francisco is to take them down, I think the Rams drop off just ever so slightly. Um, th- then I'm trying to look at who else is in the, in the division. The Saints. You riding with the Saints right now? 
I mean, I, it's right now. I think it's Rams, Buccaneers, and then that that third team. You know, whether where you wherever you have the 49ers, you know, Rams, Packers, and then you know, potentially Arizona, Dallas fits in that that third spot. Uh, but I don't personally believe in the Cowboys a whole bunch, and I think they benefit from playing in a weak division, which they kind of you know proved last year. Arizona is a bit of a question mark. They're going to be without be without DeAndre Hopkins for most of the season. So depending on how those first 8-12 games go, if you get hot back towards the end of the season and you're looking good, there's a chance you could, you know, spark something and run the table, but no, the 49ers are position I think to get in the mix and get in the dance, which is really all that matters at this point, right? Because we saw what they did last year. They were down double digits and Week 17 to the Rams, last week of the season, we thought the season might be ending prematurely. Instead, they flipped the script. They beat the Rams. They go on to beat the Cowboys. They go on to beat the Packers. And then they have a 10-point lead in the NFC Championship. So you never know what can happen. You never know what can happen. I mean, the, the freaking Bengals made the Super Bowl last year. Uh, I will say this. Yeah, it's because you, you predicted that, right? No. No, they were projected <laughs> to win like four games. <laughs> The best press conference of all time, by the way. Bennett from uh, Coastal Carolina. Bo's in the back barking. We need to shut Bo up. Anyways. That's why I got Gundy, right? We don't need no cats. We don't need no meows. No, it was Coastal's coach. Okay. Gundy was, I'm a man. I'm 40. Um, NFC East. Giants probably going to stink. I'm 40. Commanders. You know, we've heard that the Commanders could be a team to watch out for this year. We've also heard the Eagles. Could be a team to watch out for. They got Devontae, and now they add A.J. Brown to the mix. So I'm not buying Jalen Hurts. He's nice in fantasy because he gets the rushing yards and the touchdowns. But as a quarterback leading his team to the Super Bowl, no. So I'm taking no one from the east. From the north, okay, watch out for the Packers. But if Alan Lazard's your number one wide receiver, I do not see how this team is Super Bowl bound. NFC South, it's the Bucks. Not buying the Saints, Panthers, or Falcons. So we just looked at three divisions and pulled two teams that could be potential Super Bowl teams. Three if you're counting the Eagles. And then in the West, San Francisco, Rams. I I wouldn't count the Cardinals, so that's five teams. Go to the AFC, and here's the biggest difference. Bills, sure. Dolphins. Dolphins, I think, kind of had the same trajectory as the Philadelphia Eagles coming into the year. So that's two if you're going to count the Eagles as one of the five in the NFC. Patriots, I don't think so, but we'll see. Then you got the Bengals. Sure, they made it last year. They added to their offensive line. Ravens, maybe. That's five right there, or four right there. Colts. Eh. Colts or Titans, it's going to be one of those two teams. Colts, Titans from the South. I don't think there's anyone that really scares me getting into the Super Bowl. But then the West, Raiders, Broncos, Chargers, Chiefs. You're talking like eight, nine teams in the AFC that you got to watch out for. In the NFC, it's it's more like four or five. Well, and that's why I feel so good about where the Niners are positioned. It's, you know, for all of their their quote-unquote question marks, about whether it be the quarterback position, the offensive line, I know they're, they're deep, but, you know, they have the, the best put together roster in the NFC right now. And as we learned, all you all you got to do is find a way to sneak in because they proved last year you don't necessarily need home field advantage to make a deep run in the postseason. I mean, maybe it helped that the Rams were a little less taxed and had a home game to, you know, in, in the conference championship. But 
I mean, 49ers fans, they travel really well. And again, it's the... The, the the difference between the floor and ceiling for the 49ers is going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on because as much as I could see them winning 10 and 11 games and potentially winning the division, if Trey Lance you know gets hurt or if he's he has a couple of bad games, maybe there's an injury here or there, I could also see them being a team that that kind of flounders a bit and wins seven games. So you know there, there's so many ups and downs with not only the 49ers but the rest of the NFC and you know we kind of just went through and, and nitpicked some of those and um you know we might have a chance to revisit that on the other side if you want to chime in let us know what you think the 49ers are capable of this season 888-957-9570 also open for text on the Comcast business text line we're going to stick with the 49ers but also coming up of course we're going to get into the Giants who had a World Series reunion yesterday celebrating the 2012 team some might say the best of the three World Series teams for the San Francisco Giants and also discuss what the Fernando Tatis Jr. suspension for PEDs means for the the game of Major League Baseball, and well as the future of stars in the sport. Also, some Warriors news that we want to update you on. All of that coming up and more right here on 95.7 The Game. Chuck Walters, Evan Giddings with you on a Sunday. We'll be back after this. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Here on a Sunday morning, Chuck Walters, Evan Giddings with you. Big thanks to Eric Crocker of the Locked On 49ers podcast. Had him on the last half hour. Ton of great insight with the 49ers. Can definitely go check that out on the 95.7 The Game podcast network. We're having some fun here, and now it's it's time to take a, a different bit of a trip. Transition a little bit over to baseball. Of course, the Giants playing this week and a chance to sweep the Pittsburgh Pirates today. But maybe the biggest story from the weekend and revision of stories was the 2012 World Series reunion 10-year anniversary yesterday was celebrated a ton of great Giants back at the ballpark at Oracle and 
And anything that the fans want to remember about that team, anything they want to talk about, whether it's Giants-related, 49ers, Warriors, 888-957-9570, hit us on the Comcast business text line. But... And and I know you have some, you know, bit of a personal run in Chuck with with the 2012 San Francisco Giants, but I personally contend that that was the best of the three World Series teams between 10, 12 and 14. Definitely the most resilient. <laughs> that is for sure. What down 2 nothing in the division series, down 3-1 in the LCS and then they pretty much just rode that train through right through the Detroit Tigers, sweeping them in in four games, but yeah, I mean, again, Cincinnati, the Reds had them right where they wanted them, and they let them off the hook. Yeah, I remember I was uh, I was in college at the time, and up in Athens, Ohio, and I'm from Cincinnati, so that was obviously a, a big Reds town, and it was two nothing, uh, the the Sam LeCure game in game number one where Johnny Cueto got hurt, came out, and the Reds were bashing in those first two games. Was it Ryan Ludwig? It was. It was the Brass Monkey. That was his walk-up song by the Beastie Boys. Ryan Ludwig came out, and he was hot. I think Bruce was pretty hot. Phillips was hot. And the Reds took the 2-0 lead at the time, and, and it was still this way until last year's uh, Super Bowl run. A, a Cincinnati-based team hadn't won a playoff series since 96 in any sport. They hadn't advanced, and this was the year. 2-0, it was, it was going back to the Queen City. And everyone in Cincinnati said, all right, it's happening. The sweep of the Giants. And Game 3 was their best chance at getting that sweep. They had the kegs tapped in a parade set for all three games. And San Francisco just came in and ripped their hearts out. (laughs) Ripped their hearts out. Did it again the next series. Um, And and it was was Timmy, right? It was the freak that kind of, was it Game 4 or Game 5? It was Game 4. Where he came out of the pen and yep, right helped him out. Yep, Tim Lincecum, the eight-three win for the Giants in that game. Tim Lincecum, four and a third innings out of the bullpen, and it's interesting because and and absolutely want to send our condolences out to Lincecum and his family who just lost his wife uh, definitely to, to cancer. As we found out, the reason him not being at the reunion yesterday, but. His role really changed a lot throughout those those runs because he almost got relegated to a reliever after, of course, being a back-to-back Cy Young winner in the tail end of the, of the 2000s and then being the frontline starter of the 2010 team. A great postseason performance. Iconic, really, his first postseason start against Atlanta. He was great, but then sort of got relegated. And, you know, Bruce Bochy worked his magic in the rest of, of Lincecum's seasons and suing with the Giants and... That to me is is in a weird way kind of a microcosm for the team because they just had a bunch of guys that that stepped up when they needed to. And I know that Bruce Bochy described them at the time as as cockroaches in the sense that they wouldn't die, but that's really what that team became known for. And you know, ninety four wins, whatever you want to say, the 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 best you know regular season team or or not, they they demonstrated something that I think a lot of teams lack nowadays as far as the resiliency but also you know there, there's not a ton of teams now that you look at and and say okay they can beat you know the Dodgers they can compete with the Yankees they can compete with the Astros it's either you have your your top guys you have your top teams or you don't and the Giants I mean really throughout all of those three World Series kind of debunked that theory that you need the best team to win 
Yeah. I mean, they had a little bit of everyone. Yeah. You know, it was Scudero coming through. Pagan was there. Um, Pence. The the list goes on. And then the mainstays that are, you know, with, with Posey and the guys that are still in the lineup Busty now. And poser. Busty Poser. The, the pitching staff. But that was a really interesting year for Lincecum. So good in the early years of his career. The, the two Cy Youngs in, in 08, 09, 10 and 11. All-star, four straight all-star years leading into 2012. And then that's when he had what ended up being the worst year of his Giants career. 10 and 15, a 5-1-8 ERA. I'm sure at the time, if you put yourself back in that position, maybe, just maybe, you thought that he would be in that Johnny Cueto position where he didn't make the playoff roster last year when, when Cueto didn't make the playoff roster. Maybe that was the position he'd be in. Instead, he comes in. He holds down the fort with those four and a third that you mentioned. And uh, it's, you know, it's 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 another thing that you remember Tim Lincecum for. Um, he didn't have many good years after that, but um, th- that was definitely pretty cool for Timmy to do. No, you're right, especially with the amount of regular season success that he had. And then towards the tail half or the last half of his career was more about the moments, you know, throwing two no-hitters the last of which when you could say he he didn't have his best stuff against against San Diego and you know bringing that around to the modern day giants 10 years later i do think it was cool that they had a a 2012 like game last night i know you're playing the pittsburgh pirates and i i know they're down on their luck and they're not a great team but to win that game 2 to nothing and specifically to have logan webb go the eight shutout had a chance i thought potentially to try and complete the game but, you know, having thrown 99 pitches, going to Doval in the bullpen, that was a, a grinded-out type game, an, an old-school Giants-type game, which I thought was cool. Yeah, and I do have one more more word on uh, Lincecum in that uh, 2012 playoff. You, you look at his statistics all year. He, he didn't have a, a good month, really, throughout the entire year. He, he had a 5.74 when April ended, had a 5.82 when May ended, even worse, it was at, you know, six at one point. Or, yeah, it was at six at one point in June. And then heading into the playoffs, he had a seven-run game, his second-to-last start, and then a four-run game, his last start of the season. So the fact that Bruce Bochy has the confidence in him to put him on a playoff roster and then put him in a, you know, a pretty dicey situation where they absolutely needed a win or go home against Cincinnati uh, just go- goes to show you the kind of fate they had the free and to respond to the Comcast business text line. We definitely want to be accurate about these matters. Nine two five was it Lincecum's wife or girlfriend. It was his wife as reported by the San Mateo daily journal died on June 27th of cancer. She was an elementary school principal in Burlingame, California. So we, we are absolutely accurate about that. But you know, as far as the 2012 team, a quote that I, I took away just from sort of going back through a couple of, of stories that I was reading you know, Tim Tim Flannery, who was a coach on that 2012 team, we had him on earlier this week, I believe on Willard and Dibbs here on 95.7 The Game. He mentioned, to kind of piggyback on the cockroach uh, comparison by Bochi, basically saying the baseball gods were kind to us. And so this is the question I have about this year's team. Well, why aren't the baseball gods kind of the 2022 San Francisco Giants? I mean, they were kind last year, right? They were kind in 2021. 107 wins, 
Why haven't the baseball gods smiled upon these San Francisco Giants, Chuck? This is what I'm trying to figure out, and I can't. I just can't do it. I can't seem to figure out why they don't transfer. I mean, look, they got a chance to sweep this weekend, and that's all well and good, but I just don't know if the way that things had been moving, specifically slowly in the farm system, if we're going to see those baseball gods be shining down on the Giants in the near future. One, the baseball gods shined on the Giants enough last year to last an entire lifetime <laughs> and an entire franchises remaining um, because they got some breaks last year. They got the best play out of a handful of players that you're probably ever going to get. They remained healthy for the most part throughout the year, at least at the key positions, and they won a ton of one-run baseball games and a ton of come-from-behind baseball games, and a ton of late-night magic from Lamont, and Darren Ruff went off, and you just had a bunch of guys that you knew it probably wouldn't replicate this year. There's a reason why the win total was set at what it was before the year, despite winning the 107 games. So I think it's about what people expected. They thought this team was about an above-average baseball team. So in terms of that, considering they're below 500, it would be disappointing. With that being said... The one thing that excites you about this team, if they can make a run, and it's a massive capital IF, is they have the one-two punch in Rodon and Webb, and then you have um, you have Alex Wood right now, who's pitching pretty well, yeah. playing better baseball. He's so, starting today. Yeah, yeah, and if you get in the playoffs, then with a pitching staff like that, you never know. You're going to get the wild card, so you'd send Rodon or Webb out there, take your pick. Who do you want going in a winner go home game? That gives you a shot when you have potentially the best, eh, top 10 best pitcher, top five best pitcher in baseball, and you can make arguments that he's better. And then uh, the reasoning why Giants fans should be somewhat excited right now, and we'll know more in about eh, two weeks, end of the month, we'll know a lot more. One more with the Pirates, four with the Diamondbacks, Rockies, Tigers, Twins are pretty good. But uh, going into that last series of the month against the Padres, you should know whether this team has a shot because realistically, you win eight of these next 11 games or whatever it may be leading into the Padres series, you could be three games back, two and a half back, and then you're you're, you're, you're trying to catch the Padres. You got three against them. Uh, it could be a brand new wild card race come August. But then the question comes, you got the Phillies, you got the Dodgers, you got the Brewers. That's a nine-game stretch where you could easily fall back out of it. Is this team actually good enough? Can they feast on this less-than-stellar competition? Sure, but they do have the Braves. They have six more against the Dodgers, and then they finish it off with the Padres. So still a lot of work to be done. But the exciting thing is when you are playing some bad teams and beat up on them, they can climb back into the race and at least make it interesting. Yeah, no, I'm with you, and that's why I do think in an 8 of 11 stretches not only achievable for this team in the near future, but also, I mean, kind of necessary in order to get you back into the race. Because right now you stand at 56 and 57, and they have not had an above 500 month by record since April. I mean, 14 and 7 to start the year since then, a 13 and 14 in May, 13 and 13 in June, 11 and 17 in July. And right now they stand one game under 500 in August because of, a tough start. So they need to find ways to keep picking up wins. But as weird as it sounds, I don't think the playoffs are, are, they may be a slim chance, but they're not out of the question. 
And a piece of news that, of course, came in earlier this week, I think, helps that effort, aids that effort. And that is Fernando Tatis Jr. getting popped for PEDs. Now, he hadn't played the beginning of this season, any of this season. And he's missed a lot of time throughout his career, but that was a game-changing talent that the Padres were assuming was going to jump into the lineup with Machado, with now Juan Soto, and all the rest of their guys. So, you know, if if the Padres have a, a September like they did last year, really in August and September like they did last year, you're pretty much just fighting with the Phils as far as trying to capture that third spot because right now you're looking at Atlanta, you're looking at San Diego, you know, you're looking at one of the other between Milwaukee and St. Louis, yeah. and then Philadelphia is right ahead of you, but it's not out of reach. I mean, it's it's not likely, but the possibility of the Giants being able to get hot, if they can get hot, I think it has to happen now. I'm I would I would push back a little bit to say that, you know, well, we will know what the season is by the time they get to the Padres, but in my opinion, they need to rattle off 8 of 11 just to even keep me in the loop of what's going on with the Giants. Yeah, last week when they were six and a half back, their odds to make the playoffs were Plus 900. Mm. So I, I gave Dibs on our CBS show, I gave him a uh, a little proposition. Hey, Dibs, huge Vegas guy. Shout out Dibs. Oh, he's fantastic. Loves Vegas. Loves he's his, locked in. Loves his soccer, too. Oh, he sure does. Yeah. Loves I'm, his I'm 9 a.m. soccer. He's well, got the perfect shift. We're talking about fantasy. I'm in his uh, fantasy premier league with, this year with along yes. with Stephen Langford. Yeah, that's yeah. that's um, we're diving deep into the that's weeds. either that's either deep in the weeds or big time soccer guys. Either way, good for you. Um, but anyways, I, I brought up the proposition. Hey, man, I'm giving you fifty dollars to go to Vegas. You can either get you know a, a cheeseburger and some wine or a wine and fries, whatever fifty dollars gets you in Vegas, and you can get the instant gratification, or you can take your money to the booth. You could put it on the Giants to make the playoffs. And if they do, you would net like $450, $500. At the time, I said absolutely not. He said the same thing. We're both taking the burgers and the fries. I think with it just being a 50, I think I'd sprinkle it on the Giants right now. I don't necessarily think it's going to happen, but it would be more me trying to will it into existence. Um, and it's just because of the stretch they have and a stretch that they have in late September. You got the remaining games, as I said, with the uh, the, the Pirates the four with the Diamondbacks, Rockies, Tigers. Get back in the mix there by winning every one of those series. You could potentially be four back, right? So you go into the Padres, let's say, say even the Twins take two or three. You're four and a half back or whatever of San Diego. Yeah. You take two or three, you gain a game. Okay, you're right there. You're right in the mix. You then would have to take care of Murderer's Row with the Phillies, Dodgers, and Brewers. The Braves are shortly after that. Dodgers again. That would break the season right there. If, if At the end of the day, if San Francisco wants to make the playoffs, they're going to have to beat the best to get there. But if they can handle business, if they can just stay afloat in the Padres and Brewers and Phillies and whoever is around them, don't really run away with this thing. Then come September 19th, you got three against the Rockies. Scratch that. You got four against the Rockies. You have three against the Diamondbacks. You have three more against the Rockies. You have three more against the Diamondbacks. That's all back-to-back, 13 very winnable games. And then, if you're in the hunt and the team you're trying to catch is the Padres, without Fernando Tatis, you finish the season with three against San Diego. And maybe, just maybe, there's some magic. Yeah, you give yourselves a shot. And I would put the number... 
as far as where I want them to be heading into September, it would have to be around three and a half to four and a half games back. Right now they stand six and a half back of San Diego, who is the last wild card spot. Atlanta's one, Philly's a half game or five games behind them, and then San Diego's a half game behind Philly. Milwaukee currently one game out of that last wild card spot in between San Diego and San Francisco. But if they can find a way in the last couple of weeks of August to get that number to four, four and a half games back of the last spot, you give yourself a chance. But the one thing that I feel is the biggest hindrance to that coming to fruition is the same thing that allowed the 2012 team to be so good, and that is the bullpen. Now, I know that Doval last night, and really in, in the last couple of weeks, has gotten back off the, the canvas. He's been very good. He's trusted the fastball. He's got electric stuff. And when he's on, he's virtually unhittable. But I'm looking at the rest of that that bullpen, and there just aren't guys that I trust enough in between you know, the, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth inning to get to the ninth. And just to go through some of the 2012 members of that bullpen, I mean, outside of the closer, Santiago Casilla, you got Jeremy Affel, who statistically has you know, been one of the best postseason pitchers in history. Obviously, Sergio Romo, but Javier Lopez, George Contos, right there, that is five different guys with a sub-3 ERA, Romo with a sub-2 ERA, that you can put in different spots. And I'm not saying you can instantly recreate that, but I was curious as to why the Giants didn't at the deadline try to bolster or improve their bullpen a little bit. Because to me, as much as the defense is aesthetically difficult to watch or had been, especially in the month of July, the biggest hole in this roster was the back end of the pen outside of Doval, and they didn't really address it much. So that is one thing. I, I don't know if guys you know kind of regress positively to a mean, but the bullpen to me is is the most frightening part right now of this Giants group. Yeah, and where's the quick fix? You know, you look in Sacramento, is there anyone that you can bring up that gives you more than Tyler Rogers? Uh, they've experimented with Sean Jelly. He's been whatever in Sacramento. I'd say worse than whatever with the 518 ERA. Brought him up to the Giants for a cup of coffee and didn't do much in San Francisco in the six innings he's pitched in. Aside from that, like who is in Sacramento ready to come up and contribute, even if it's a starter down there, they can come up and, and fill in some innings in the bullpen. They need someone. Harrison's probably not ready, I would imagine, in double-A. He's got some time. Um, maybe you see him up in the big leagues with a September call-up. If they're out of it, I don't necessarily know if they're in it and definitely probably wouldn't be making the playoff roster if they got there. But there's got to be someone with the development and the amount of time they put into developing this farm system. There's got to be someone in the minors that can help this team out. But they know more than we do, and they haven't brought anyone up. So I guess they're stuck with what they got. Yeah, no, and I think it also is going to come down to, okay, well, the, a few of the guys that you do trust outside of Doval, maybe not Rodgers as much, but a guy like John Brebia, whose underlying metrics have been very, very good this season. Uh, Yarlene Garcia, who's kind of their only lefty that that I personally trust. I know they brought in Alex Young, who was with the Diamondbacks, but he's, he's kind of a, a middle innings guy, can eat up some frames for you. I'm looking at the few members of the bullpen that you do trust. They have to be able to pitch three games out of the week or even sometimes potentially four. So, like, for example, 
down on the road trip when you know people are, are questioning, okay, well, do you put Doval in this situation in extra innings or in the ninth inning? They ended up going to Rodgers. That's when Machado hit the walk-off home run for the Padres. That's a situation where I need to see Doval or you know, Brebbia, who I know had thrown the previous two days, those are the spots where I need to see someone you know, kind of just put the load on their back. Because if you're going to compete down the stretch of the season, you have to almost, I don't want to say overwork, guys, but you got to try and extract everything you can. Maybe that's not the Giants' process. Maybe that's not the way that Gabe Kapler along with Farhan Zaidi likes to operate. But I think if they do want to compete for wild cards, if they even want to get to the place where in September they are four back, they are three and a half back of that last wild card spot, you're going to have to, you know, get a lot of kind of outlying performances, not only from the bullpen, but even maybe the starting pitching staff. It may be Logan Webb having to go an extra inning when he's at 100 pitches. It may be having to throw Alex Wood out against a lineup for a third or even fourth time. You know, you're going to have to put pitchers in uncomfortable situations, the, one that, the ones that you do trust if you're going to collect Ws, because as you laid out, Chuck, there is a schedule in the next coming weeks in which there are a lot of beatable teams. And even though... You may be thinking about saving your, you know, your guys for down the stretch when you run into those tough wild card teams that you got to jump. I think right now is where you need to, in a way, kind of go all in and just see how much you have left in the tank. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the hit the nail on the nose right there, and it's going to come down to two things when it comes to the Giants and their playoff push. There's two separate tiers that they play. There's really no mediocre teams that they have left. And when I say, eh, when I say mediocre, let's go with a team like the, uh, give me someone that, that's, that's mediocre in the baseball Oakland Athletics. right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but, but what they are playing a mediocre team right now, the Pittsburgh Pirates. No, Pittsburgh Pirates stink. They're, they're worse than mediocre. Cincinnati they, Reds? They don't play them. Uh, there, are teams, there are teams right now that they play that stink, and there are teams that are legit championship contenders. I guess, like, Padres? Could you consider them? Their lineup doesn't look mediocre, but the results? I think the Brewers are just above mediocre. But uh, aside from that, you got championship contenders and the Braves and the Dodgers and some of these teams you have remaining. The Phillies are, are sneaky. They've been playing I, I well. I don't know if they're championship yeah. contenders, but they're solid, you know? So they have all these good teams left, and it's going to require one of two things happening. They're going to either need to hold their ground against these really good teams, and that just means 500 baseball, and absolutely beat the living hell out of these bad teams that I'm mentioning. And so far, so good with taking the first two against Pittsburgh. We'll see how they do today. Or what they need to do is be good against these bad teams and also be good against these good teams. And if it's the route number one that they take, where they beat up on the horrible teams, but they, you know, don't hang afloat against the Dodgers and the Phillies and the Brewers and some of these teams, and they're losing all these series. However, they beat the Rockies like eight times in their final couple matchups and eight times against the Diamondbacks and, and sweep the Cubs and somehow sneak into the playoffs because of that and because they're good head-to-head against the Padres. I don't think that gives anyone faith that this team is going places, you know? Maybe maybe they get lucky and take a wild card game because of the pitching, but when it comes down to a seven game series, they just 
they're not the Dodgers. Like they, they can't beat the Dodgers this year. I just don't see it. Well, speaking of bad and mediocre, there was a bad story that happened in baseball that we touched on in Fernando Tatis Jr., which will apply to one of those mediocre teams in the San Diego Padres. I mean, even when Major League Baseball is a shining light, a gray cloud of scandal seems to follow. We're going to get into what the Fernando Tatis Jr. suspension for PDs means for the game of baseball and what it means for the San Francisco Giants. Coming up next here on 95.7 The Game, Chuck Walters and Evan Giddings with you here on a Sunday. We're back after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.